0: Mr. Reimers, can I have your help with this? I was going to throw these, but I'm pretty sure I just have the bad luck of beaning somebody in the forehead this morning. Uh, if you get one of these review questions correct, there's Lindor truffles or Ferrero Rocher in there. I told you I'd bring good candy. It just took me like six weeks to remember to actually bring good candy. Um, pastors made fun of the way I dress for a really long time, but it was Easter, by the way, when I was nine years old. Sarah and Ann always got, you know, your nice dresses and all that stuff. And I complained enough that I got a purple suit for Easter one year and it's their fault that I dress the way that I dress. So I just thought I'd put blame where blame is due. It's my generation's job to blame our parents for all of our problems, and there we go. All right. Yeah, wrong pronoun. It was mom. Can't, we can't blame her. She was awesome. All right, uh, here we go. Simple questions. We're just going to do a very quick review, just a few here. I got lots of chocolate. Uh, you can eat that in class today, boys and girls, okay? Ooh, all right. Who was the first judge? Who was the first judge? Somebody. Just come on, somebody. I want candy. Othniel. Othniel was the first judge. Wow. Okay, that was. By the way, I granted that was like four months ago, but that's not that long ago here. Hey? who was the second judge? The second judge. He was left-handed. You are now out. Uh huh. Ehud. We got right over here. Who did he kill? Big fat guy. Might have been the fattest guy in the Bible. Eglon, yes. Mrs. Wilson got it over here, okay. While Ehud was serving as judge, the Bible gave us the name of a th- the third man who stepped up to deliver Israel. Who was that third judge? Somebody, nice and loud. What? No, not Barak. Barak was never a judge. Somebody? Shamgar. You already answered. Just pass the candy along to somebody else. Look at this. We're in church, no cheating. Okay, come on. All right, so Shamgar, does anybody remember what did he use? What weapon did he use? It was an odd weapon. You're out, you're out. (laughs) What did Shamgar use as a weapon? An ox goad. He used a pointy stick, okay, all right? The fourth judge and the only lady judge, Mrs. Rayola, Deborah, fantastic, and Barak helped her out with that, okay? We're catching up here, we're doing all right. Uh, let's see here does anybody know who the judge after Deborah was this one's really hard it's the guy we've been talking about for four weeks Gideon back in the corner Mrs. Tarita back there she was the first one to raise her hand come on come on all right Gideon all right does anybody remember what tribe Gideon's from he said he was the least in his family, and his tribe was the least, sir? No, you're fired. Mr. Manasseh, that is correct. He's from Manasseh. Congratulations, we are now caught up. Hey, Judges chapter 6, look at verse 17. We are going to do a little bit of recap. Thank you, Mr. Reamers. You can actually keep the rest of that bag if you want, because if it stays in my office, I will eat all of that. So just tell your wife you got it for her, okay? There you go. You're welcome. Okay, Judges chapter 6, let's look at verse 17. We're going to do, like I said, a little bit of recap um, and then build into something new here this morning. Uh, verse 17, and he said unto him, If I have now found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Remember, there's the angel of the Lord. This is not for candy, but who, who specifically was that angel? It was the Lord Jesus himself. The Bible ca- calls him the angel of the Lord. That's capital L-O-R-D. Gideon didn't recognize that at first. In fact, it wasn't until nearly the very end of his interaction with this angel that he was like, oh, I know who that was. And it kind of, by the way, we have that problem too. God will put all these road signs in place. Go this way, go this way, do that. And we're like... I wonder how this happened. What a coincidence. Can you imagine? And like God's like, dude, come on, man. And that's where he's at right now. It says, if I have now found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. So he asks this angel, I need a sign that this is, in fact, what you're telling me is from God, goes out, and over the next couple of verses, it just breaks down the idea. He makes ready a kid. He cooks up A a lamb or a goat here, a goat more than likely, uh, unleavened cakes, and he brings basically, he brings a meal to this angel. And verse 21, then the angel of the Lord, again, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah God, put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And this is that sign, there rose up fire out of the rock and consume the flesh and the unleavened cakes then the angel of the lord departed out of his sight and this is one of those pieces of evidence that gives us a clue that this had to have in fact been god himself here because he accepted an offering if you pay attention to any of the other angels in the bible they do not accept an offering they actually set tell you that this is for the lord you can't have you can't don't worship me but this one accepted worship because God is the only one that's worthy of that worship, which is pretty incredible here. And jump into verse 22. So Gideon gets his sign and starts to go about his work here. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, alas, O Lord God. Again, it's at the very end of his interaction. This rock shoots fire out, burns up his, his food offering, and then the angel of the Lord disappears. And he's like, oh, that was God, okay? I've said this for the last several weeks in a row. Gideon is probably, of all the judges, he's probably the one that's most like us. He's not real bright, okay? He's just not. And you act like, oh, well, I would do better. We're reading this in hindsight. We're reading this like in 3,500 years worth of history hindsight. We have the whole picture. Think about your life. As God has led you through portions of your life, you look back as soon as an event is done and you're like, Oh, God did that. Yet you didn't do any of that. Every good work cometh from the Father. God's the one that's directing all of the stuff here. He's got all the strings. We don't even know where the strings are, let alone know which one to pull to get what we want. He's got all of them, but we act like we we got some level of control. No, you don't. Calm down, okay? Look at verse 25, and it came to pass. This is all in in catch-up here. Gideon has been called by God. He says, you're going to deliver the people. Gideon asks a sign proving who God is. Fire comes out of the rock. He recognizes who God is, and he gives God a name, by the way, at the end of one of those verses here, um, and he calls him the, the, basically Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Gideon's going to need that name because what he's been called to do is going to be anything but peaceful, and he's going to need that inner peace on repeat and god actually gives it to him by the way on repeat because he needs it here and right off the bat look at verse 25 and it came to pass the same night god says you're gonna go do something amazing gideon's like jehovah shalom the lord is peace and god's very first command for gideon after he's agreed to work with god and do what god says here is hey Let's go stir up some trouble. You're going to need to see that piece right off the bat here. And the Lord said unto him, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it. Hey, tear down the altar, cut down the grove that's nearby, use the wood from that to offer an offering unto the Lord, and you're going to tick off all of your neighbors. Job number one, let's fix home. But in the process of fixing home, you're going to make everybody you know and love mad. Remember, God is peace. Got it. God is peace. Have a good night. Bye. And what does he do? He does exactly what God told him to do. But he he does do something that you and I would do. Verse 27. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Gideon was afraid. How many times has God asked us to do something and we're afraid? Hey, go give that guy a track, but he has tattoos. Oh, I'm sorry. Have you seen the fact that he's got 19 pieces of metal sticking out of his face, Lord? Yeah, I don't care, give him a track. But he's tall. In my case, that's everybody, okay? That's a problem. And and we back off and we're like, I'm afraid. By the way, he's got a valid thing to be afraid of here. He is tearing down the altar of their God And look at who's mad at him here. His father's household. According to Gideon's own testimony, he's the least in his father's household. Can anybody name me somebody else? Another famous human being from your Bible that was the least in their father's household. David. David. David got forgotten when they invited everybody for dinner when the prophet came over. You realize Samuel was the last prophet and judge of Israel. They didn't even invite him for dinner. The least in the household did not matter. So he's about to mess up everybody, all of his older brothers, his dad, and the men of the city. This is a genuine thing to be afraid of. Can I I use a very real world example? If you're dumb enough to go light the, the Islamic center on fire, you're gonna have some enemies very rapidly. We okay? You light this building on fire. I will be your enemy, okay? And I'm not that scary. He is, all right? But these guys, Gideon's afraid. But by the way, there's zero indication anywhere in here, even in spite of his fear, that he failed to do what God told him to do over and over and over again. And that's where we've caught up here. Verse 28, this is right where we left off last week. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. Remember, Gideon takes 10 of his servants. So there's a total of 11 men working on this project. It is very difficult to get 11 people to be quiet about anything. And especially something that is this big of a deal. More than likely, this would have been somewhere near the top of a hill. They've got an entire stand of trees that are now missing. Baal was the god of what? Does anybody remember? We've talked about this repeatedly. Weather. So therefore, the god of prosperity of their crops This is an agrarian culture. Going in and offering and offering to Baal on a daily basis was a common thing. So they all get up. First thing they're doing in the morning, by the way, is having devotions. These are people who don't worship God, and they're doing better at their daily devotions than you and I do. Mm. That's not written in there, but it's in there they rose early in the morning. Where's all our trees? Why, why is that smoking? Mr. Bailey actually brought this up last week. I mentioned most of the time, these groves that were planted were typically evergreen trees. Have you ever burned pine or any kind of an evergreen tree? It smokes horrifically, and it stinks. Big black smoke... This probably was still smoldering because he had to go through the process of breaking all that down, cutting all the trees, processing all of that, building an altar, slaughtering the bull, and then offering. He probably finished this just as morning was getting started. Why is there a fire? T- this is going to be a huge, noticeable thing. So their very first reaction, who did this? Somebody gave up Gideon real fast here. They gave him up real fast. By the way, if you're one of those 10 men, they were his servants. Servants don't have rights. Servants don't get treated well. Who did this? Him. Him. Instantaneously. Why? Because you don't want to die. That was his fault. I was just following orders. I didn't have anything to do with I just did what I was told. They're going to turn him in and look at verse 31. And Joash said "Said and unto all that stood against him. They basically wanted to cut him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to just... If Gideon did this, we're going to kill him. So his father, Joash, said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet mourning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself. And this is a, an amazing phrase right here. If you haven't already, underline that little, that little line there. If he be a god, let him plead for himself. Gideon's dad had to have some kind of internal backbone, if you will. He had to have something to him that's like, wait a second, why do you need to defend our God? If he's actually a God, let him take care of it himself. He's actually asking the people of this entire city, let's let this God prove his worth. If if he's actually a God, let him fix it. That's a pretty impressive moment right here. By the way, it gives us an idea that Gideon was brought up sometimes better than we give him credit for. A lot of times we give him, we, we, we knock him for he's this weak guy. Remember, he's the one that was threshing wheat by the wine press. He's over here hiding. He's just, he's just a wimp. He's just, there was something to him. Remember, the, God called him a mighty man of valor, bravery, honor. That had to have come from somewhere and we get the idea right here it came from his dad so in spite of the fact that they were worshiping the wrong god there was some character that had been instilled in Gideon which is worth noting Amen. even if we mess up as parents and grandparents we can at least teach the right pro- process some right character because you realize train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it sometimes we we don't follow the bible And don't tell me you don't, because we've all screwed up. But if we've taught them the right character and the right principles, they should be able to make the right decisions. There's a whole group of people in my age bracket that walked away from church because, well, we were always taught it was just a list of rules and not a relationship with God. Not at this church, by the way. Not at this church. But if you chose to just believe this as a list of rules, that's on you. But at the same time, you were at least taught good character. And that's what Gideon is giving. We're giving credit right here. He, the man was taught some good character. By the way, this stumped everybody. This clearly stumped everybody. Because at this point, they just kind of left Gideon alone. They want to kill him in the verse before this. And afterwards, he gets a new nickname, Jerubbable, which is really fun. Okay? It means a man against whom Baal is to strive and contend. Literally, this man fought a god is what that would translate as. This man fought a god. It's actually, they gave him a title of honor. So they went from wanting to kill this guy to giving him a kind of a weird title of honor that he fought against a god and he won because the god couldn't touch him. By the way, why is that? Because he has the only god that's backing him up. The the statue's not going to do anything to him. He's got God Almighty on his side, calling him a mighty man of valor, saying, if you go in and do what I ask you to do, I got your back. And I got your front and the left and the right. And he's this is pretty intriguing here. Verse 33. And this is where everything kind of takes a bit of a shift. God had to do this, by the way. He had to do this again because Gideon and his family and the men of his city have to recognize right up front, they've been doing something wrong. Remember, that's exactly what the prophet warned them of. The God sent the unnamed prophet who came in and said, I've done all these miracles for you. I, I delivered you from Egypt. I got you across the Red Sea. I took care of you for 40 years. I got rid of all of your enemies in this area. Then you gave up and you started worshiping other gods. Fix that and I'll help you. They fixed it at home first and got rid of, and and at this point we're given some at least an, an idea that the men of this city have at least recognized that baal's not worth worshiping anymore because if he can't save himself what kind of god is he So we're given that idea. And then this story, if you will, this account takes a little bit of a change, and we're brought back into the Midianites. Verse 33, then all the Midianites and the Amalekites. So we've got two armies here. The Midianites and the Amalekites were directly related to each other through distant history. They were basically distant cousins. So they had a tendency, if you read through the Old Testament, the Midianites and the Amalekites had a tendency to work together quite often, uh, both a fairly nomadic people. So we've got the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the East, Not given any indication of who these guys are, there could have been any number of tribes attached to this particular grouping here. So we've got two major, if you will, people groups and then an unnamed group of people, the children of the east, were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet. And Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered after him, and he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. So these tribes are coming in. This actually gives us, by the way, an indication of time of year. What was Gideon doing when God showed up to him? Threshing wheat, meaning it's harvest time. Remember, we've read through the Bible here. The Midianites showed up about once a year at harvest time. The Bible calls them as grasshoppers, and they just took all the crop, all the profit, trashed the place, and went home. So this is giving us an indication this is likely sometime in the fall. Are we okay? Because it's harvest time. That's if, Have you ever planted anything? Fall is when all that stuff comes about. That's when all the apples come. That's my favorite time of year, by the way. I love apples. I don't care about the rest of it. Just apples are great. But he calls in, he blows this trumpet, and he sends messengers out. He needs help. The Bible gives us some indication later on in this chapter and going into chapter 7. There's somewhere around 135,000 people in this army. That's a lot of human beings. That's all of Wallingford and Meriden and a little bit of North Haven in one army. So Gideon calls all of the people nearby. He's got Manasseh covered, then Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. Even then, this is not going to be near enough. This is not going to be anywhere near enough people. Um, This is just, and and Gideon's just doing exactly what God told him to do. You're going to go against the Midianites and you're going to win. Well, how do you win if you're fighting a giant army? You gather the biggest army that you can. Is that not logical? So Gideon's just doing the logical thing here. And he's like, look, we need an army. The army's right there. They're about to come in. We can see them. So let's gather up our army. Look at verse 36. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand as thou hast said. Hang on a second. He's asking God a question here, is he not? If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand as thou hast said. Didn't God already promise that he was going to do this? Gideon's doubting again. I told you, he's a lot like us. He's a lot like us. Verse 37. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand as thou hast said. Didn't Gideon already ask God for a sign? He's talking to God. By the way, can you imagine that for a split second? He's talking to God face to face. Are you him? Are you God? Show me a sign. Fire comes out of a rock and consumes all the food he put down. And now he's asking for a follow-up. I told you, he's like us. We tend to be dumb. I, I shared my, a bit of my testimony when I got saved last week. God, it, it, I know he didn't preach on salvation, but if he mentions it, I'll go forward. Anybody remember how many times I made that deal with God? It was three why? Because I'm three times stupider than most people. Hey? By the way, Gideon ends up being at about three as well. So I told you, he's a lot like us. And he he puts a weird one out there. I'm gonna put this fleece, this piece of wool out. And in this one here, if there's dew on the fleece and the ground is dry, then I'll know it's you and I'll know I'm supposed to do this. You ever actually thought about what he's asking God to do? That's weird. That's really, really weird. I want wet wool. Dry ground, then I'll know. April Fool's was yesterday. Somebody could have just like poured water out there. What if his like wife heard him like, <laughs> we're gonna mess with him and like, I, this is a weird challenge for God. Like I want some wet sheepskin. skin. You ever thought just for a split second. I know, I know, I'm an odd human being. You'll get over it. This is genuinely a weird request. It really is. What are you gonna do with wet wool in the morning? Okay, he's just, he asks, and look, verse 38, and it was so. For he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together. He starts to wring it out and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. As dumb as his question was, God's like, all right, okay, okay. You realize how many times we do that to God? Over and over and, God, I need a sign. I thought, According to the Bible, it's the Jews that needed a sign. And last time I checked, most of us aren't Jewish. But we still ask God for all the, I, I just, I need to know it's you. And we'll give God some random, like, arbitrary thing. If this happens, then I'll know it's you. And he's like, are you, are you kidding me? Okay. It's, ring out your little fleece here, dude. That's what he's got going on. But Gideon doesn't stop there. According to Gideon's own statement, if that's true, if this happens... End of verse 37. Then shall I know. Then shall I know. But look at verse 39. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Actually, this is twice. Okay? Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. Told you Gideon's like us, but Gideon's got something on his plate that you and I have never come in even close with. Gideon's got to go against at this point, the largest army Israel has ever faced in their history. He wants confirmation that God's on his side. We knocked Barak because he needed a woman to go with him to go into battle. No, he needed the person that had contact with God to go into battle with him. I'm only going if you're going with me, Deborah, because I need to know that God's on my side. This is not necessarily a bad thing. If God opens up a door and what's through that door, you can see it, God bless you, is terrifying Possibly life-changing, life-altering. Don't you want confirmation that God's the one that opened that door? And we'll ask God for sign after sign after sign after sign. The big difference between Gideon and us a lot of times is Gideon walked right through that door, and we don't. God opens the door. I. I, I this is what I want you to do. But that's so different than what I've done. I know. Are you sure this is what you want me to do? Yep, here's sign number one. Here's sign number two. Here's sign number three, and this one's lit up with LEDs. I don't know. There you go. Maybe it's a train station. I don't know. But God wants us to do this stuff, but we won't answer. We won't go through that door. Gideon, Gideon wanted confirmation. Why? Because this could very likely be the end of his life. This could, based on what we know from the other portions of the scripture, this could be the end of over 30,000 people's lives. That's the start of his army. Gideon's got to know that this is what God wants him to do. So he's asking, and he's not because he's doubting necessarily. It's not because he's weak in his faith, because the Bible tells us in Hebrews, he's one of those people of faith. If you would go to Hebrews chapter 11 with me real quick, we've looked at this before. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 32. Hebrews eleven thirty two, 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. He's listed in what we call the faith hall of fame as a man of faith. Gideon's not, again, some weak, wimpy Christian here. He's got to make a decision to follow God that is gonna be life or death for him, potentially life and death for thousands of people. And Gideon's decision here affects his entire nation. You've heard this before, and we usually preach this to teenagers and forget to tell the adults this on repeat. Every decision you make affects somebody around you. Gideon's decision is about to affect not just him, not just his family, not just his city, it's going to affect his entire nation. I-, I dare say none of us have ever been in that position. We haven't. We-, we ask God for signs on our little decisions about going across the street and handing our neighbor a trap. Inviting them to church on Easter. And we'll ask God, well, I need confirmation. You need- that. This is what you want me to do. It is. End of story. But we'll ask God for confirmation on that. But we'll knock Gideon for, well, this guy doubted God over... No, he needed confirmation. What he was about to do was huge because he was going to affect the entire people group of Israel. And God answered, by the way. I think that's the most amazing part of this is God kept answering him here. Look at Gideon's response again. Let not thine anger be hot against me. Gideon knew, okay, I got to be pushing it here with God. I've asked them a couple times. How many of you have ever been around little kids and they ask you the same question over and over and over and 47,000 times later and it's 7.15 in the morning and you just finally answer the way they want because you can't handle the questions anymore. If you want to know what that's like, come visit my wife's kindergarten class tomorrow morning at 8.17. It'll have been two minutes and she and Mrs. Shorey will be mostly bald hyper-caffeinated and crying in a corner because they have 15 five-year-olds doing this to them every single day. Okay, it's just absolutely nuts. And Gideon knows, look, God, I I know I asked for a sign. You did the whole rock fire thing. We did the wet fleece last night, but I, I need dry fleece tonight because this is huge. This is absolutely huge. We can't make decisions flippantly. Most of us have kids or grandkids. And if we don't, we've got people in our lives that we make the wrong decision, that's got a ripple effect that's gonna trickle down. Have you ever seen how ripples work, by the way? They're small at the beginning, but they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Pay attention, I I have the privilege of teaching things like geography and uh, uh, like earth sciences and things like that. A category two earthquake, which is pretty small on the Richter scale. We actually regularly experience earthquakes here in New England that are between a category one and a category three. We're actually, by the way, on a bigger fault line than California. If anything's ever gonna fall off into the ocean, it's us, yay, all right? Might not be a bad thing, we could start our own country, just have to get rid of Lamont, it'd be fine, okay? Um, But here's the deal, We, we experience those, a category two earthquake on the Richter scale in the right place in the Pacific Ocean can cause a tsunami wave over 60 feet tall. Small ripples can be devastating, but they're never devastating nearby. So we make these stupid decisions because it doesn't directly affect us, but affects generations to come. One of the worst decisions, and I think probably one of the saddest verses in your entire, entire Bible is, God tells Hezekiah, there will be destruction. You can choose now or for your kids. And he says, let it happen to my kids. First off, possibly worst dad in all of the Bible. Any real parent would be like, let that happen to me and hopefully my kids will be okay. Am I right? But he's like, no, I like this. Let my kids be destroyed. Ripple effects. Gideon knows this right up front. He knows. How does he know this? Because his family, his people have lived in abject poverty. He's hiding threshing wheat to make some food to feed his family in a place that's completely out of the ordinary. He knows this could change, if you will, the world. This decision's huge. So he needs confirmation from God that this is what he's supposed to do. Are we all right? God calls us, by the way, to do things all the time. Little, medium, big, massive. Get the confirmation from God. But once you've gotten the confirmation of God, walk through that door. Don't hesitate. By the way, we're given indication here that Gideon hesitated a whopping two days. This happened two nights in a row. Am I reading my Bible correctly here? This happened two nights in a row. So Gideon now has hesitated a whopping two whole days on a nationally, Stage altering er, or life altering stage. Our decisions aren't that big. It shouldn't take us three months to decide to go talk to our neighbor about Jesus. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Why? Who knows if they're going to be here tomorrow? Who knows? You can't just keep asking God for a sign after sign after sign. Gideon recognized right off the bat after the first time with the fleece. I know this might make you angry, God, but. I need some confirmation, and he's about to change the lives of every person in the nation of Israel in a matter of probably a week or two, and you and I will ask God for confirmation over and over and over again to do something as dumb as hand somebody a piece of paper with an invitation to church on it. Come on. They're not the same. If God opens a door, take it. Take it. By the way, anybody in here, God ever opened a door and you went through it and regretted that decision later? No. Because every time God opens a door, what happens when you pass through that door is beyond what you and I have ever imagined. And most of us are in this place here today in the stage of life that we're in because God has opened door after door after door in sometimes absolutely nuts ways. And every bit of it, if you look back, hindsight, it was better than you could have ever done yourself. Every single time. But well, I need a sign. No, just go through it. Why? We have to trust God. That's the biggest deal here is we have to trust God. Why do you think God's very first request of Gideon is tear tear down the altar of Baal? The people had to realize they couldn't trust Baal. Remember the nickname he got? The man who went against the God and won? They had to prove that God's not worth trusting. This one is. And they're about to see that. Jump with me into chapter seven. We're finally gonna move into a new chapter. It's only taken us forever, okay? Then Jerusalem who is Gideon, by the way, that name kind of does go back and forth over the next chapter or so here, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Mora in the valley. So it gives us an indication here that Gideon and all these men from these four different tribes that have come with him are near the top of this hill, and all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the children of Easter near the bottom of this hill. So Gideon and his group, actually have the tactical advantage here. We okay? Because they have the high ground. It also means they can see the entire tedious army they're about to go against. Why do you think Gideon needed confirmation? He can see them. The Bible uses the term as grasshoppers, without number, as sand on the shore. This is a terrifyingly massive group of human beings. And Gideon can literally look we, we don't have enough people here. This isn't going to work. Why do you think you wanted confirmation from God? He's looking around like, okay, this isn't going to end well. I don't like this. By the way, we're, we're going to get to some math here. And I am not a math teacher, but they're not hard math. The odds started off with roughly 135,000 Midianites, Amalekites, and children of the east. And Gideon had a whopping 32,000. Those are four to one odds. That's not atrocious, four to one odds. If you could play the lottery with four to one odds, whether the Bible says so or not, you'd all be playing the lottery, right? Four to one odds. By the time he's done, those odds go out the window, Hey, We're almost done with March Madness. Um, Within the first two days of March Madness, there wasn't a single bracket left standing out of the, what was it, 20 plus million that got filled out on ESPN, because the odds are insane it's one in like billions of billions of somebody getting that accurate gideon's about to go into some very unique odds here and he needed confirmation right up front that god can do what god said he was going to do so he chose a really dumb really weird miracle for god to do i need wet wool dry ground follow up let's have dry wool and wet ground You realize as odd, as weird, as dumb as that may have been, nobody else could do that except for God. Nobody. We ask God dumb questions all the time. And he answers us all the time. Why? Because for some odd reason, he chooses to love us in spite of who and what we are. In spite of the fact that we won't walk through the doors that he's placed in our path, Without asking him a million questions, we're basically gigantic kindergartners asking God a million questions. Hey, why? 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 And he just somehow he's way more patient than we are. And he just listens. He's long suffering and he's still there. And he's saying, will you just we just walk through the door already? So will you? God's going to have some kind of a door this week for you. Will you walk through it? That's going to be up to you to decide. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you do for us. Lord, thank you for loving us.